and welcome to the third episode of The Last Zebra. I have the honor of my third guest and dear friend, Dr. Piomia Shalay Brown. She's joining me. Thank you. Thank you for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me. This is, this is amazing. Thank and you. I'm so excited. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So... I am definitely not a native of Louisiana. I'm, I feel like a, a, a transplant, a foreigner when I come to this state, and especially the city. But I'm from South Carolina, uh, born and reared in a small town called Utahville, E-U-T-A-W, for those um, who are interested in looking it up. Very small, population maybe 1,300, and that was in 2010. I... Um, Graduated from Clemson University, so those are the real Tigers, and I apologize for y'all LSU fans wow. out there, the real Tigers. Clemson University, um, medical school in South Carolina, at Medical University of South Carolina, um, residency in Augusta, and then came to Louisiana in 2019 for pulmonary critical care fellowship and fell in love um, with the city in the midst of a pandemic, and it was just an amazing experience. Moved to Atlanta and thought, maybe I'll stay in Atlanta. There's a lot more land, you know. Didn't love it and came back here. And so here I am. And you moved to Atlanta for sleep? Oh, yeah. Sleep fellowship. Yeah. Sleep medicine fellowship at Emory University. It was an amazing year, amazing people. But, you know, I guess I left peace of my heart back in New Orleans. So here I am. New Orleans does have a special place for those who love this city. For those who love the city. <laughs> if you love New Orleans, I think Drew Brees said it, if you love New Orleans, New Orleans loves you back. Do you feel like New Orleans has loved you back? I actually do. I mean, I think that's what brought my family back because of the connections that we made, the people that we, mm -hmm. families, mm -hmm. family members that were friends first. Um, and we missed that. We missed that being away. We missed the rich culture that I didn't even know I needed until I left. And I thought, this is it. This is a place that I would want to be. So, Well, we're certainly happy that you guys came back. We, we, uh, we met in fellowship, mm -hmm. UMC, University Medical Center here in New Orleans. And we kind of just hit it off. And our daughters are best friends. Very best friends. <laughs> so they'll tell each other that. How did you, how did all of this start? How did medicine start for you? Ooh. From the very beginning. So did you always want to be a doctor? How did all of that start? Um, I will say that's a it's a it could be a long conversation. We have time. Oh. <laughs> okay, we have time. So my my mother, my aunt, and my grandmother opened up an assistant living facility when I was I remember being three and they built this building, which my father built pretty much built. My father's a contractor, mm. brick mason. So they built this building that wasn't far from my home. And so from there, from that inception, I learned what it's like to care for people who needed care just by being there with them. And I remember the residents who were there. And I remember Mr. Henry who could not speak, but could say a lot, but not speak and couldn't walk. So we, I kind of grew up in a, in a, medical service kind of community, mm. if that makes any sense. Um, but I didn't really, at that time, of course, growing up, I didn't think that I would serve people in that way. My father got ill when I was in fifth grade. He had a stroke. I was actually at school when he had a major, a massive stroke um, that left him debilitated, a little bit debilitated, but he spent, was it two months, and I may be wrong, about two months in the hospital recovery and then that time like being in the hospital throughout those experiences from actually he had an aneurysm first and encountering the healthcare system in an emergent type way then and then encountering it in a prolonged setting I got used to just being in the hospital or mm -hmm. being in a position where I'm seeing people who need medical attention get care and how that was delivered so I would say that's kind of where it blossomed, right? I have a sister who needed more psychological help. She, she was diagnosed with schizophrenia and wow. mental, she's mildly mentally delayed. So growing up with her and understanding what health was like in that aspect, from that perspective, 
then my father getting sick and then the, it was and then the community where people needed like the medical assistant later was just like well I don't have to be a teacher and, and I don't I don't mean that in a in an inferior type way my entire family they're all educators moms teachers sisters principals professors so it was kind of well you could do that because you know that life mm-hmm. and you know the lifestyle of being able to have summers off like that that's clutch (laughs) summers off and family vacations and being able to meet so many people and watch them grow up. So I thought that that's what I would do, but the introduction and I think really submerging into the medical community in that way just kind of made sense. Fast forward to going to Clemson first class, you go from making perfect grades to what is this i don't know biology i made a d what is a 53 on a test and i thought okay this is not for me and withdrawing from that class and changing my career my career path for an entire half of the semester i was like i'm doing graphics i'm an artist i'm gonna do all these things and i did and i loved it but something was missing so i went back finished with biological sciences at clemson did some other things, a lot of other things, actually, and then ended up coming back. So after getting married and doing the things, I was a dialysis technician for three years before even thinking about medical school. Wow. I was like, if I'm going to do medicine, let me see. Like, can I do this? And I loved being a dialysis technician. And it was really my husband was like, OK, so when are you going to apply to med school? Like, When are you going to do this? So that's how it really got started. So it's a lot of details in that history or in that story, but that's what led me here. It sounds as I, I'm hearing a story of perseverance. Do you feel that way? It sounds like you've had certainly a lot of obstacles that cert- that try to prevent today, to prevent you from being who you are today. And you've persevered over all of those. Do you feel that way? I I do feel that way. But, you know, I think more than, I mean, definitely perseverance for Mm -hmm. sure. Like that's definitely a part of me. And that's another long conversation, a tangent in itself of how you overcome different things as a female, black female doctor in medicine. Like Mm -hmm. that's a totally different way to try to navigate doing what you love in a world that really isn't quite, hasn't been built for you. Right. So yeah, perseverance was definitely a good word to describe a part of that journey. But to be completely honest though, I think that my experiences though really helped make that decision for me. It was like, okay, so you, you can do this. Like you really can. It's an opportunity. You've got supportive parents who literally have given you everything. Right. Despite hardships, I was exposed and had opportunity to, to do literally everything. So why not medicine? That's kind of how it felt. So it was more of those experiences shaped my decision if that makes sense yeah absolutely how how then did you go from because there's medical school and you get exposed to so many different aspects of medicine i think one of my favorite things about medicine is i truly believe that no matter what facet of life that you come from there's a role for you in medicine Mm -hmm. right so if whatever talent you have whatever talent you've been gifted whether by by you know nature or nurture Mm -hmm. um there is room for you in medicine there's so many different specialties so so many different uh skills that apply themselves in these different specialties so i think for me i came to be a pulmonary critical care doctor by essentially by process of elimination i knew what i did not want to do i was just talking to a medical student today and my advice to her is to, as much as you want to know what you want to do, yeah, it's probably more important to know what you don't want yeah. to do, what you don't align with, or what what doesn't um, fit well with your personality, your your talents, your strengths. Mm-hmm. And so I knew I couldn't. There are mm-hmm. certain things that I couldn't do. I knew what kind of uh, man I wanted to be, and what kind of physician I wanted to be, mm-hmm. and that 
also eliminated, eliminated some specialties for me. How did you get to internal medicine, pulmonary critical care, sleep? It fell on me, like literally, <laughs> literally. So, I, of course, if you know, I told you I was a dialysis technician. Right, 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 right. So I was like, I'm going to do nephrology, right? So throughout even medical school, my research in med school was in with the dialysis population, renal failure population. Um, I made so many connections with people, even across the world. I did um research abroad like I did not abroad but in the United States I did different programs with nephrology so I was like I went into my residency I knew I wanted to do internal medicine because mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to specialize and it was going to be nephrology at least that's what I thought my first as an intern I think it was my second rotation mm. was in the ICU I was terrified like so scared I was like oh my god I do not want to be in this place and literally, that's where everything lit up. It was like I was firing at all cylinders. I was scared at one point. I was excited at one point. I was able to, like, it's so much in, in critical care medicine. It's medicine on steroids, and it satisfied every facet of me. Mm. But I didn't know that until, <laughs> actually, I just thought about this the other day. I had a, two patients come in in the same week guy who had literally drank himself into like and be like in a toxic toxic ingestion of mm -hmm. alcohol needed to be on dialysis and of course we needed to treat him after doing all the math the, the renal calculations and spinning urine and looking at pee under a microscope mm -hmm. <laughs> okay we need to treat him well the medication that we needed to treat him of course is a national shortage we don't have it so What's the next best thing? Literally alcohol. I had a calling, calling poison control and getting the calculation of how much alcohol to actually give a patient every hour, literally. So I had pharmacy come running in the ICU with a bottle, medicine bottle of Everclear. That's hilarious. I like, Everclear, like, it was so proud. They were like, here you go. And so we'd already calculated how much to Everclear get to. Everclear is horrible, by the way. It is is absolutely horrible. It's bad. It puts people completely <laughs> under, but it saved this guy's life. <laughs> so it literally, so we were giving this man Everclear and spending, like doing dialysis, giving him, him Everclear. And then literally two days later, a lady came in and with a suicide attempt. She was still awake, mm -hmm. but very like somnolent, uptunded. We spinning her urine, right? Found out, well, we're going to treat you the same way we treat this person. So we made this lady a screwdriver. And for those who don't know what a screwdriver is, I actually learned what a screwdriver was that time. It's the orange juice and vodka, whatever. We gave her a couple cocktails. She drank until she couldn't drink anymore. And then put an NG tube in her. <laughs> like we were giving her alcohol through an NG tube and she got better. Mm. And I was like, this is wild. It's so wild that... I'm so excited about giving, like, what's the next option? What can we do to save somebody's lives using what the tools that you have? Solving problems. Solving problems. On the spot. Like, it was Mostly so much fun. But what did what made me say no nephrology was the nephrologist runs into the ICU and says, we found crystals in the urine. And we all were like, yay. It's pee. Like, we don't care. And, then, and literally it clicked and was like, okay, so that's not for me. Because I'm not going to be excited about that. But I'm definitely excited about finding ways to treat and heal these people. <sighs> that so was such a good experience. I, I will say that my, my second guest, so the guest that preceded you was a nephrologist, Dr. Gupta. And he, he obviously has a different take on nephrology. I know. And so he, he stayed in nephrology. He's been in nephrology for the past two decades. Wow. And so he highlights it in a very different way. Shout out to the nephrologist. Shout out. Love you. <laughs> Shout out to the nephrologist. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. I, I think the ICU to me is one of the, it's where I feel the most calm. The floor drives me, it's like so chaotic up there. It's it's bizarre because people come down to the ICU and oh my goodness, it's, it's so like, scary. And I'm like, this is the this is the God. this is it's it's the most calming place for me in a hospital, right? You have a sense of control in the yeah. ICU. You have a sense of um, 
organization. You know what you need to do. It's also very intuitively protocolized. Yeah. So, you know, you, you kind of, when the patient presents, they, they present with big picture problems. Big. Mm-hmm. And then you dial your way down, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So like right now, we, there's usually something that you have to do right now. Yeah. And you know what that is. Yep. And that to me is comforting. It, I'm sorry. But, but to that point, what's also comforting is I'm also that instant gratification. Like there's, you can do something. You can literally pull somebody from the brink of death. But we also forget about that part of care that maybe we can help make this process comfortable. There's a transition and that's still care. And that's what I also fell in love with, with all of the experiences that I've had. Like we feel like delivering bad news and saying, I can't help save you, but I can help you transition and make that look comfortable and peaceful and calm and maybe even joyous in a sense, to for you and your family members, right. I literally in the same <laughs> in the same experience, the same month of being in the ICU as an intern, there was a guy who'd come in, and he, he had an addiction. I think maybe alcohol was the theme of my first time in the <laughs> ICU, but he had liver failure from alcohol, mm-hmm. and he was dying. And this wasn't his first bout of this these acute types of illnesses and his sister came in he was completely encephalopathic didn't know where he was and his sister came in and said he wouldn't want to live like this Mm. i don't want to and it was the time to intubate dialyze doing all of the things and he said she said he wouldn't want this he wouldn't want to be this way and (laughs) which is also funny is I think she found comfort in knowing that I wasn't moved by the fact that he was a little bit touchy on touchy, mm-hmm. <laughs> but he, he didn't know where he was and I wasn't going to hold that again. Like, let me help you. Right? right. And I think she found comfort in knowing that I wasn't moved by his illness and, and the consequences of his illness. I just wanted to make sure that he was taken care of and she helping them make that decision at transition as an intern, they were looking to me in this room all of my attendees are sitting down and they're looking up at me. What would you, and I'm thinking little old me, but it was just about how you care for people and the times where they need it the most. And that care that family members can see, like that was important to me. And that allowed me to also exercise. I would say gifts that I've been blessed with and being able to talk to people and not let hands go but in those times where people are transitioning to now is a time where you need to actually not physically lay hands, but be present, be there because they needed you the most then. Right. I have always thought of medicine as well, I've always thought of one of the greatest gifts of medicine is the way we slide into people's lives almost unnoticed. Mm hmm. And slide out. And what happens is, especially in the ICU, I've noticed this, especially in the ICU, is we leave such permanent marks on people's lives. I can't tell you how many times I've seen folks that have thanked me for how I took care of a dying loved mm-hmm. one. And in those moments, I don't, I don't probably remember the family but they certainly remember me. Exactly. And that is a a lesson in humility because they're paying attention. You leave such an yep. indelible mark on these people's lives that th- there are no words to describe no. what that what that feeling is like, especially when it comes from a place of gratitude yeah. and, and thankfulness. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the greatest gifts that medicine has ever given. I think we we get to be part of a of unique family family situations that yeah. and and I've always thought of especially in those situations that we we get to see what a family really is like so in the space of one visit maybe two three visits you you understand the family dynamics yeah. almost immediately you're yep. like a what's that like a wallflower mm-hmm. or what you're flying a wall or a fly on yeah. the wall and you're observing all the family interactions who was there for longest who's the primary caretaker who is 
the mean uncle who <laughs> all of it fleshes out yep. when when someone that everyone loves or whatever the case may be is um is on their on their deathbed um so i've i've always cherished those moments and and i agree with you care especially end of life care has become something that i've taken very personally mm -hmm. just because i know it, it, highlighting what i just said just because mm -hmm. i know how much yeah. that means to these people um so then you say all that and then you go and do sleep Ooh. how Listen. did that happen you became a sleep physician yeah what? you know so in all transparency <laughs> i did sleep because i was like yeah i'm when i'm old am i gonna be walk, wanting to walk around in the icu so being in the ICU, 12-hour shifts that end up being sometimes longer, 16-hour shifts. For, am I going to want to do that? Am I going to have that longevity? Hmm. Mm. <laughs> Maybe not. And there, being a pulmonologist is also a part of that. But I thought, I want to have the opportunity to do more than just these things. Sleep is one additional year. And to be completely honest with you, after doing the fellowship even, I realized how... Again, that instant gratification. You are coming mm. to me with your sleep problems, which is the umbrella of sleep is not just what we think about as sleep apnea. Like there is insomnia. Like I just can't sleep or man, I sleep too much. Can you help me not sleep my life away? These mm. are things that people say. Or man, I'm laughing. A couple will come in and say, hey, I'm laughing Bec or laughing because, man, my partner beat me up last night while we were sleeping. Oh, Actually, that's not normal. <laughs> right. That's not normal. And that could be a sign of some other problems that you may have. And you change one thing or give one device and they come back and say, I have, I've never slept so well. Partners come back and say, thank you so much. Man, like this... Like, that immediate gratification that you can get just by changing people's sleep patterns mm -hmm. or talking about the things that bother them about their sleep, their daytime aggravation or irritation and what that means. Like I found it very grat, like it's so gratifying. And so when I'm tired and I just kind of don't want to be in the ICU anymore, which I don't know when that would be. And even now, like I can do this. I can, Read your sleep. I can see your brain when you're sleeping. Literally, I'm reading your sleep studies. I know what's going on with your brain when you're sleeping. That's to me. Doesn't that sound like cool though? Am I just nerding out right now? Yeah, being a sleep I'm being nerd. a bit. I'm being a bit nerd. You're being a sleep nerd. Okay, fine. But like, I can look at your brain and see what's going on when you're sleeping. What? So you just finished sleep fellowship, I right? I did. Was it what you thought it would be? More, less? Much more than I thought it would be. Mm, okay. Much more. Because like I said, like even in our, so we're exposed to sleep with pulmonary medicine. Right. So we have, we know what sleep apnea is. We know how to read. We introduced to sleep studies and how to identify different issues. It is so much more than that. <laughs> so much more. And not only that, it's a lot psychological, psychological complications or issues that people may have that affects sleep, but even deeper than that. Example, I had a patient, so we worked in, did a lot of VA, a large amount of our, my time was spent at the VA in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And Atlanta VA is huge. huge. A lot of issues that I think people are frustrated because it's so big and they serve so many people, right? I had one gentleman who came in who was actually transitioning so a transgendered man okay came in and he he felt like nobody was paying attention to him mm. so he started talking about his sleep and he started talking about the typical i'm snoring i just don't rest i'm hot i just feel frustrated about life right and the more he spoke, it became more of a, this is actually more of an emotional and even psychological issue. So then our visit transitioned to tell me about how you're feeling emotionally. Well, my son is now fighting with me because I am not nice or I snap at my son or my wife is frustrated because I'm not 
paying attention to her and fighting with son. So we started talking about that. And as I'm talking about this issue, then I went, wait, wait, looking at labs, I'm looking at stuff. I'm like, wait, your testosterone levels, your own replacement, they're higher than they should, like three times higher than what they oh, should wow. be. Well, high testosterone or in, generally in men have increased risk for having sleep apnea, especially the, old, the older you get, but especially during a process of replacement, like you're agitated, you're frustrated, you can't sleep, you're snoring, you have all these problems. And I said, hey, did you, did you get any notice about this thing? And she said, nobody called me and told me. He said, nobody, excuse me, nobody called me and told me about that. I thought, well, this may be a lot of your problems. Right. We need, while you're going through your hormone replacement therapy, let's look at this aspect. And that didn't take that wasn't a part of the, that conversation wasn't a part of a questionnaire, right, right. like our typical questionnaires. It came about with a simple conversation, like, tell me what's going on with you. And we were able to narrow down like, hey, aggression, frustration, all that. It could be this part. Well, he came back. And he was like, Dr. Brown, thank you. You're leaving. You're the first person. Not because, of course, fellowship was over. You're leaving. You're the first person that actually paid attention to me that listened and found something that probably nobody was going to take the time to find. And not because of negligence. It's just the volume is just heavy and it can be overwhelming, but something as small as small as that was great. Right. Great for that person. And certainly it sounds like it had a pretty profound effect on his quality of on life. On his quality of life, on the family's life. Like it was such a burden and it was just a small adjustment in addition to like, of course we did testing and we did all the things, but that part made, brought so much comfort for him, even to the healthcare system. So it wasn't about what I, the mark that I left. It was, well, shoot, I just met Dr. Brown. Maybe I'll come back and see the next person. Right, right we have an effect on how care is delivered and received and perceived, not just for the one patient, but for the patient that they refer for their family members. And again, this is why I think the holistic mindset of medicine is important. The holistic mindset of what care looks like care is not boxed in. And I think that's another that brings me back to my reasons for doing critical care. And then of course now pulmonary medicine and sleep, I wanted to be all inclusive. Okay. I want to be able to reach people in different aspects within the scope of what my training and my license and my medicine degree will take me. So that's why I did it. And I am really excited. So you, you've been out of training now for three, three months. You started working as an attending with me. She's my partner. Um, what's, what's that like? What has that been you know, like? It's, it's funny because you asked this question, you asked this like not too long ago about like, when did you feel like, wow, I'm done. Right. You know? And I'm going to tell you, man, I, it feels so, it feels surreal, but it didn't hit me after I was done with sleep fellowship. Mm. It hit and it's, it's like a gradual release of, oh, wait, I'm here. Like I'm actually doing the job that I've been trained to do. After I started, because it felt like, was this all worth it? What, four years of undergrad, four years of medical school. Three years. Three of years of internal medicine. internal medicine, plus another year, because I did chief year, which was wonderful. I wouldn't change, trade it for the world. Then three years of pulmonary fellowship. And then, like, seriously, I have my colleagues... I have my friends from med school who are like surgeons and had their own practice and been out for a, like a couple years now. And I'm like, why? What am I doing? So it, it's just now feeling like it was worth it. It was worth it. So you it would say it is. It is worth it. I was just telling. No, it's worth it. It's a long, long, long road, but it's 100 percent worth it. It's 100 percent. I would certainly vouch for that. I think. I've said this many, many times. Um, who I am today is so appreciative of every version of me that went through yeah, it. Yeah, you said that. Yeah, I am so 
proud of all my past versions. Good job, son. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely worth it. And you feel the same way? I do. But you know, it's funny because I'm thinking about that same conversation that we had when we were in lunch. Um, you said if you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to butcher it, the question, how you asked. Like if you had the opportunity or if they told you you could not practice Mm-hmm. medicine with all of the training that you have and I have to start over. Would you do it all over again? So my immediate answer to you was no. Like it was a quick no. Right. And after I heard your response and one of our other colleagues' responses, I went home and I thought about that. I was like, why did I answer no so fast? Like what's wrong with me? <laughs> like I thought something was wrong with me. But every time I think about it though, I couldn't change my answer. Not because I don't appreciate the journey, Mm because I obviously I feel like I wouldn't trade it again. But if someone came to me and said, all of that, we're wiping the slate clean, you start over. I will have to say the journey was so great and so humbling and it gave me so much. And I will still wouldn't do it again. Because the same journey that taught me how to be a good doctor, mm-hmm. I would say a good doctor. It also taught me that there's so much more to you, me, as a human being that's not in this box. That's awesome. Like it's still not. I can have that same healing ability and doing something else. What would you do? What you would asked you me do? this. Yeah. You asked me this. If you couldn't be a doctor, if you could not be a doctor... I mean, I know you just started being attending and all, but again, wipe the slate clean. Wipe it clean. You cannot be a doctor. One is what growing up, what else would you have done? And then now, let's say you were to you were to not be a doctor, what would you do? So was there anything else you dreamt of? So for instance, for me, I wanted to be a pilot. I'm still fascinated by planes to this day. And I would learn to, to, to fly a plane, but I'm, I'm terrified of uh, plane crashes, oh. for sure. So I would learn, but <laughs> I think I'm okay. You are. Right. I'm okay flying <laughs> as, a, as a passenger. Yeah, you know, so, I'm good. I'm good but I, I, I wanted to be a pilot for a very, very long time. And I still, I think a part of me, a, a boyish part of me still wants to do that. And um, I wanted to be uh, an astronaut. I know uh, it's every, every boy's dream is to be an astronaut. But and I think those are probably, I, I would argue that those actually supersede being a doctor for me. Really? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I would, if someone was to be like, yo, today, you could. That's so interesting. You could be a pilot and, you know, you wouldn't have to, it wouldn't compromise the things that really matter to me now. Mm-hmm. So my family would be yeah. taken care of, blah, blah, blah. I'd be a pilot for sure. Um, or, or an astronaut. Of course, those are two very different things. But um, I love the cosmos. I've always been fascinated that's by the stars and um, all that stuff. But yeah, that's what I would do. What's, what would you do? I would be a creative because I am a creative. Mm. And so, and I don't know, I think that's not even a, that's not a career actually. A it's creative. Not a job, that's not a, it's not a job. But it's, all right, yeah. all right. it's so, a good place to start. Okay, let's start. Okay. So, and I guess I say that because I want to do so much. Like I'm into so much. I love to work with my hands. So I could, I feel like I could easily train to be, to build things, carpenter, furniture, whatever, because I love that. I could easily do that. I love events, planning a business of, of making things happen and be beautiful for people. So I love that. I love design i love color i love those things and put making spaces warm and so and i'm getting excited about it now like interior design vent planning create even an artist like let's even go even further and i say creative because i love the arts so no i definitely wouldn't be painting that's not Mm. something that i would probably enjoy but i enjoy the idea of creating a space with art. Um, I love, believe it or not, I love dance and the idea of dance. So if I, if my mother said, 
all right, you're going to, we're going to put you in ballet at two and this is what you'll do. I would do that. Mm. I might not be built for it, but I would <laughs> want to do dance in that way because it's an art form. So I would be literally, I would just fall over in that because I love that still. Is there a space in medicine where you can apply that passion? Have you mm -hmm. thought about that? Have you thought about, is there something in medicine that would allow you to express that, that creative side of you? So wow. art, dance, is there a space in medicine? Have you thought about that? No, I haven't because I feel like I spent so many years just trying to, let's, let's get to that point. Okay, yeah. we got to that and go to the next. So I didn't think about that. That would be interesting, right? So, I mean, how, how, how can you, how can you express that? I mean, is, is interior designing for a hospital? Does that count? I don't know if that's that's not that's not what you're talking about. You don't put up pictures for the for the patients to see, like UMC. I think UMC. So I was thinking about that yes. when you said it. I like I walk down halls and just I'll stop and I'm looking around like, man, I want this piece or look at this photograph. Love, like I love that. So yeah. But it's not quite what you mean. No. Okay. I don't know how you can, maybe, I'm sure someone has found a way to be a creative in, mm. in the space of medicine. And I don't know how you would uh, reconcile those two. Because they, they do seem to be rather far apart. They are. One is, one is very rigid. And we do say the art of medicine, right? Yeah. But it's not exactly that kind of art, right? Yeah. The only thing that I can think about that I even can, I'm excited just thinking like you could merge, like planning in a, a beautiful event. Like I walked down magazine today and I saw a very common little square and I can't remember the name of it. But I thought, oh, this will be a perfect event for something for our friends if we had a party, mm -hmm. if we did something. I could think about planning an event for a subset of patients for this. Like I would, that would be something that I would like run to do. Um, but that's a good question. There's lots of different types of therapy in medicine, music yeah. therapy, there's art therapy. There, there are lots of different things that we could do that we can bring into our facilities that would help patients. But I don't know how I would be a part of that. Something to think about for sure. Something to think about. Instead of maybe, you know, maybe beyond sleep. So You're right. You're actually, I mean, you know, I told my husband my she shed is going to be lit. Like, I'm going to have all the shed. things. Yeah, I'm going to have a little she shed with all of the things with my art and salon. Because, of course, I'm like a what we call a kitchen titian. <laughs> like, I, I love braiding. I had an actual braiding license for a wow. short period of time. So I braid hair, nails. Like, I like to make things beautiful. Mm. I like to express in color, in style, in, wow. ah, it makes me happy. I love it. What has been some of the unique challenges that you would say, like what's the, what are the, what's the biggest challenge that you have encountered being a, so from, from the very beginning, from say undergrad to today, hmm. being a, black woman in medicine now that's a heavy topic but unique challenges that you've noticed and I, I will freely admit obviously as a black man myself um the i think i think we tend to to coalesce black people in general yeah but i, I would make the argument that the, a black woman's struggle is very very unique so in medicine what is that well, how has that manifested for you? Repeat your question. How, what manifests, repeat, just repeat that. How, how has the, the I think being a, a woman in medicine is a unique challenge in and of itself. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. being a black woman in medicine is also just as unique. In what way has that being a black woman in medicine, what in what way has that been a different experience than what you may perceive any other person has endured? Oh, okay, okay. I figured I understood your question, but I wanted it to be clear. 
it's a difficult question to answer, not because I can't find experiences to share. It's difficult because it's so many and for different reasons, for Mm. different. (sighs) I feel like in medicine, it is, and I use this, I say this a lot. This is a a white man's world, Mm -hmm. a white male's role that over decades, centuries, whatever has expanded to include people who are of the minority. Mm-hmm. But the higher any ladder you climb, you don't see a lot of people who look like you. And what I mean by that when it comes to the ladder in medicine is the subspecialties, right? Mm-hmm. So when I started Pulmonary and Critical Care Fellowship at the year that I started in 2019, I think I was one of 23 or so black female pulmonary and critical care fellows or in 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 the United States. Wow. And certainly I think, and I don't know the specific statistics for Louisiana and and LSU and New Orleans, but I know that I was one of very few that you can count on your hand that's matriculated through the program, Right. right? And I think that alone speaks to how heavy the weight is to carry for being a black physician, but also a black female physician, Mm -hmm. right? Because I will say that a black woman's burden is not, is something that has been conditioned for hundreds of years. Like we've been conditioned to carry, Mm -hmm. to carry the weight of things, to nurture others where you're, we have become secondary. So it is at least I know in my growing up community, right? You're tough. You're tough. You you push through. You can and you can do anything, but also like you're just gonna have to bear it and do all the other things that you are expected to do, in addition to all the things that you want to do. So you your boss mama at home, you're a boss wife. You do whatever you do, things you do well. And I appreciate the doing well. And I think that's just in general. We all should strive to do well. But there is a weight of, as a female, black female physician is on the community that's looking at me that I'm not really a part of. I'm the minority. And it's like, oh, you're the exception. Oh, your family must be proud. Oh, you don't get the benefit of the doubt. It's more of the, we expect for you not to do great. And so when you do great, it's, oh, Really, it's a different type. So that's that weight, right? And then there's the weight on the community of your community. It's like, we're so proud. We And I appreciate it. It's kind of a push, but also it's like, I kind of just want to be able to breathe. I just want to be able to breathe. So when I started, and so the example, when I started my pulmonary and critical care fellowship, I had a three-month-old, my baby, I moved to the city that I initially said that I felt like a foreigner in because New Orleans is an amazing city, but it's definitely different. It's like a different, it's like a world in the United States. Right. It's not like any other city that you go it to, really right? It really doesn't belong in the United States. It really States. doesn't. Yeah. It's solely different from any, from every to me facet of it, right? So I moved to this city. I moved with my daughter. My family is away, um, nine hours away. And... Not to mention COVID. Well, even let's just before we even get to COVID, this was 2019. COVID wasn't even on the radar, really. Like it was, it was there somewhere else, yeah. but it hadn't on the radar. But I was come. I started my fellowship with a child, but also not recovering from even my own personal things I did. So, full transparency, I had a stillbirth. Like had a stillbirth six months delivered her 
got pregnant again, had a baby and moved. I wasn't ready for that. I didn't, I didn't, emotionally wasn't quite ready for that experience. And I didn't realize that I wasn't ready until I was here. And it's like, okay, so we have to do it because we, as I feel like as women are weird to, you've got this, let's keep pushing. You're good. Like you can give, you can encourage yourself. You can go. And I moved in. There wasn't even a space, I think, for me to even be vulnerable at work because you have to perform. Right, right. So I remember, <laughs> I have a lot of first experience. In my first ICU rotation, walking into the unit, rounding, there was a w- woman with child who was essentially dead. Mm-hmm. She died. I don't know what her cause of death was. Baby, we're keeping her body alive for the sake of her baby. And I was supposed to go in and ultrasound her lungs just to make sure. I'm supposed to do an ultrasound. And I physically couldn't do it. I was like, I can't, I can't go in here. I can't. I can't do it. I couldn't go to the door. And my attending came to me, not really knowing full story, but I was like, hey, like, I just can't. And it was a side hug. All right. You'll be okay. An hour later, I said, I received a text. What did it look like? Did you go see it? And I thought, it's still still a mandate to perform. And when you don't, you are, like I said, we're not given that benefit of the doubt. Or we don't start here. And what is it, digress or regret, Mm -hmm. we start here and there's a climb Mm -hmm. to prove that I belong when everything that I've done in my life up to this point says that you're more than belong here. So not only am I dealing with the stresses of being here when I'm really here, it's that my mentality and my emotion is set at imposter. I'm not supposed to be here. So climbing on top of that, like fighting your own self, really. Self. That was hard. Like it was hard. And and so I think that goes back to my point of when did you feel like, whoo, you're done? It didn't feel like that for me until I started. And I'm still, it's like I'm chipping away at, is it, am I supposed to be here? <laughs> I'm still chipping at, wait, is that my name on that? Really? Like, am I supposed to be here when everything that we've done up to this point says, not only are you supposed to be here, but like you're on the top of this list. And I think what I've learned from my experiences, again, wouldn't change anything. What I've learned is I'm so much more than the title of physician and the title doesn't come without the weight and the work. Right. Cause so we did it. Like we did the work. Mm -hmm. But not only am I a physician, but I am wife. I'm mom to this like amazing girl. I've got friends that actually like me. Like people actually like me. Like, right, you like me, right? Like I've got people who like me and who appreciate the value that I'm in as a person. And for me, that means so much. But I learned that through this process of understanding who I am and, and knocking down these walls the myths, dispelling all of these myths of what I'm capable of. But and it came at a cost of defining uh, who, what I am and what I'm worth and how I can practice and serve others also came at the cost of me. <laughs> but now that we're here, it's like, wait, no, there's so much value in it. And I feel like, I hope that answered the question because I feel like there's so many facets even to the answer. But the the majority of the struggle was from me. Right. Overall, so many experiences, but the majority of it was from me because I don't want to let people down. I wanted to prove that I belong Mm -hmm. because I'm fighting to show people that I belong. But actually, I'm realizing that I'm not fighting to show anybody anything. Be who we were already created to be and equipped to be. And if you need a break, take the break. (laughs) Take the break because you deserve the break Mm -hmm. because you're human. You need it. Is that is that imposter syndrome? I think oh, it's probably what you're describing. It is imposter syndrome. I wonder. I've, I've always wondered what what kind of 
what drives imposter syndrome? Because I, I feel like I have that. Not feel. I know I have that. I have it sometimes. There are certain settings, certain rooms for sure that, you know, that weight of do you belong, you know, is, is a little bit extra, right? Yeah. And I love the way you said it. Everything that you've done up to this point is testament that you, that you do, you are. Mm-hmm. Um, I read something once before about how it's important to, when you tell yourself you are who you say you are, that you have proven to yourself exactly hmm. just that. So when you tell yourself you are who you are, you've already given yourself, you, mm. you've given yourself evidence along the way to justify that. And I think the, what imposter syndrome is, is that you forget those justifications. Hmm. See what I'm saying? Also, you know, yeah. I also feel like you not just forget it, you don't believe that it's enough. Yeah. That's we don't true. believe that it's enough. That's true. Because it's always, I feel like there's a level of, like I said, proving, not just to you, but proving to others that, yeah, yeah, my yeah, my parents are proud of me, but also like my parents also have other children who they're very proud of who do different things and they're right. also great. Like, and it's more so I I really do believe. That as you, like I was explaining, climbing medicine, subspecializing, you find that there are not a lot of people that look like you mm-hmm. in certain subspecialties, especially pulmonary and critical care medicine. You don't see a lot of people who look like you. Um, so it feels a little lonely at times. What would you What would you say to a young black girl in med school? Like the one I met today that told me she didn't want to be a pulmonologist. I'm going to have to get her on this podcast. Okay. Yeah. The first thing she said was like, oh, I don't like pulmonology. She didn't know. I was, I was like, wow. I was taken aback. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was flummoxed. What, <laughs> what was the reason? I, she, I th- she gave me the reason. And I think she conflated cardiothoracic surgery uh, mm. with pulmonary. So they were they were uh, mucking about in the lung after our vats and it was a persistent air leak. Uh, and th- that yeah. became a whole trauma event. Oh. And mm. and she I think this was her first like time in that kind of setting. And so I think she come tied back, that baby. into but that's what I told her. I said come on, come back. on man. Come, come on. on back. Palm is away. Palm crit is away. Anyway. Okay. Anyway. So how, something I've always wanted to ask you, right? Knowing some of your journey, mm-hmm. right, is how was it throughout all of that mm-hmm. to be wife at the beginning mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. wife and mother now? Wow. You know, it's so funny because literally... My husband and I, JB, we just literally had a conversation two mornings ago. Mm-hmm. We woke up and we were like, this is different. Like both of us, it was like, I was thinking it. And he said, it was like, this is different. So we got married while before I even applied to med school. Like mm-hmm. I told you, he was the main reason why I went ahead and applied. So I got married in 2009. We were so young. Like I think back of how young I was. I was 24. He was 25. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah. Who does that? But we did, and we're still happy. I could not ask for. I didn't ask. I was blessed with the best life partner, who's balances me. Like I'm here, and he's here, and it works right. well. He was such a supporter for everything that I could possibly need and want. He provided that and made the way clear for me to just do what you want, whatever you decide. He's that, and you know him. Mm-hmm. He's literally like, whatever you want. And at first it was, you know, it was a, it was a lot because I'm like, really? But no, he means that. Mm-hmm. So I went through the journey with someone who was super supportive. And then in addition to that, just family members around that just like, Whatever you need you can't come home we'll come to you we'll visit you give you what you need to get out of your space like that's how we all operated during that time 
but it's so stressful and mm, I don't want to say stressful because there's a level of stress that comes with pretty much any job, but especially when you can't give your time in the way that I think we would want time. Mm -hmm. Especially to the people you care about. The people you care about. Right. Like I wasn't able to give that time. And so it was, I got a moment, let's do it. Or I know that I'm going to do this at this time. I have this free period. So we're going to make that time. So I appreciated having that flexibility of time. But from, for me and for him, it wasn't even just time. It was just my brain space. Like, I could be, we could be on vacation and I wasn't on vacation. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. he understood that, but he also helped work through the, hey, we're here, focus, like, focus. So he had to deal with that, too. And I think now, even though I've still got things that deadlines we have to make, Board, like we still have things that we have to do in medicine, but now that training is done, I literally sit back and I breathe and he's breathing and it's like, what are we doing today? When is your next time off? Oh, what are we going to go? What are we doing? Do you have, like, it's a, uh, it's different. It's the freedom of feeling like you can breathe as a couple in our relationship. It's like the luxury of having time, having resources to mm -hmm. do the things that you want to do and being around people that care and love in the same way that you do. Like our circle of friends, like is so important to us that mm -hmm. there's no pressure to be anything more than just the people we are. Right, right, right. <laughs> there's no pressure to physically be in any given place at any given mm -hmm. time. And there's no pressure to the quality of that time. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know, and so we, we're we like excited. We literally said to each other, we're excited about this. This is cool to not have the stress of somebody else's expectations for you. Because that's what training is. It's, yes, you want to perform, but most of it is... Make sure I do right. this right. Like there's this expectation for somebody else. And now there's nobody else. It's just you. And by you, I mean me. It's right. just me. Not just be who I am. And that I think is probably the most fulfilling thing I think about the last month or so is I could just be me wherever. And there's nobody saying, well, does that, are we following this? It's like, no, I get to be me it's 100% authentic, my 100% authentic self and share that with people, but also see people actually get better. Yeah. Like that impact. And he can, my husband can see that because I'm that way. I'm able to be that way at home. I'm curious to see. I, I, I wonder, maybe I'll have to ask him this is how has he, and you can answer this for yourself too. How have you changed in your marriage throughout this journey? Ooh. And certainly, certainly, because you guys have had some pretty important milestones, obviously. Mm -hmm. And who you are today, and this is this is life in general. Who mm. you are today isn't who you were, you know, five, ten years ago. Not at all. But how has medicine and the journey through medicine um, changed you in such a way that you can... I don't know, you can, you know, apply that to your, or you can say this journey in medicine has changed our marriage for the better in this way. What, what, what would your answer to that question be? Other than making it very, adding an extra layer of hardship. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. And, and toughening you up to, you know, to endure, what would you say is one of the benefit because he 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 was literally there before before and, and he's gone through all of this he's with gone you, through everything all of this with you is it possible to pause on that question and then come back to it yeah of course you want to dwell on it i want to dwell on it but i also want to literally pause mm -hmm. literally pause all right and we're back i have to take a quick break so where were we oh i was asking how has this process um, been, how has this process enriched 
your marriage and your role as a mother. Oh, wow. You added that last part because you didn't talk about my role as a mother. So like, okay, so now let me think. I mean, it's, it's not even, it's not a hard question. Like, I believe that this process allowed, I think, JB and I to see each other, like to actually see each other and to see what we both were capable of as separate humans, you know? The level of his love and support and ability to make things happen, like, is... I. He's an action man. He's like, he gets it done. Yeah. He gets it done. But not only that, his level of love and support for me. So before getting married, I'm like independent. I do everything myself. Like, I got this. Don't, I don't need, literally, I I remember telling him as, as ignorant as this sounds, even thinking about it. Like, I don't really need you. Like, who tells somebody that? Right, right, right. You know? And he looks at me like, you kind of crazy. <laughs> but, like, you're kind of crazy. But really, I realize how much I do need him, how much he grounds me, but also how much he's allowed me to be me and seeing things about me that I didn't know existed, allowing me to be in a way that I didn't know was possible, to be more authentic. He is the person that makes me comfortable being who I am, wherever I am. It's because of him. That's beautiful. Literally. Like, I I remember I wanted to wear different nail polish. I, color, again. I want to make wet nail polish. Is this acceptable? Is this okay? Are people going to think that I'm not presentable? And he was the one that says, it's presentable because you have it. It's you. Mm. You wear your, wear whatever you want because it's you. And if they can't accept you, then they ain't for you. They're not for you. Like he's that person. For him, I would say I think he realized even in his career and what he wants to do in life, this journey helped him realize he doesn't have to the, the stress. I'm enough stress for him. <laughs> like my job is enough stress. He, he needed to be that balance, and he realized the type of work and mindset that he needed to have in order to carry our family, to be there for our family. And so he's so, he, he, at least he tells me, he's fulfilled in his current job, but also he's excited about doing all the other things that he wants to do. Mm-hmm. What he wants to do is be a stay-at-home dad and play golf. Mm-hmm. Are we working on that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> but that's what he wants to do. And as far as my Joe, man, Joe, my daughter, Joelle, I, she is amazing and brilliant and a package that I wasn't expecting. I wasn't expecting for her to be so bright and so smart and so kind, but also very determined. And so when I see her being so strong, but, and the weirdest thing is she's strong, but even in a four-year-old body, it's like she knows that she can't do everything. Mm. She can't be everything. She said that to me this morning. She was throwing a fit. <laughs> she was throwing a fit before it was time to go to school. And I said, Joel, jo, you have to learn. Like, you can control yourself. You can't, you don't have to cry for these things. Use your words. Blah, 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 blah. You know, this girl said to me, but mommy, I can't be good all the time. Oh, Lord. I said, you are right. You are so right. We are not good all the time. And mm. you don't have to be. Seeing her be strong and intuitive in that, as a four-year-old, I want to make sure that she sees me a strong person, but also I want her to see me mess up. Right. Some, one of my attendings told me that. She said, don't be afraid to make mistakes in front of your kids and just say, man, I messed up. Because that's how they're going to learn to be okay with messing up. Right. Because we project our... A type as physicians and know some some a lot of us have the similar personalities of do it right, do it right, do it right, do it right, don't mess up, don't mess up. Because we've lived a life of don't mess up. Mm-hmm. That's how we've been reared in medicine, right? That's how we've been conditioned, yeah. We've been conditioned to be that way. She needs to know that so she doesn't have a complex. Our children need to see. It's okay. 
to mess up. It's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to not be good. I'm going to be bad right now, mom. That's just that. You're just going to have to deal with my four-year-old badness. And I say, okay. I appreciate that. So I think had I not been in this position, I don't think we would be these people. I don't, I mean, we would still probably be good people and mm-hmm. great people and meet great people because I think we are, we are the type of people that we attract who we attract. But the lengths of understanding what even our own potentials are and what we can do, I don't think we as a family unit would be able to be that and to do had we not gone through this journey together. The good, bad, like all of it was like for what we needed. It was for good. It worked for good. I love it. I love it. Well... Thank you so much for taking uh, time off in your week off. Is this your last day of your week? Yeah, yeah. you caught me on my, I'm going to go back to work tomorrow. I like, appreciate you taking I'm the time. absolutely more than happy to be here. We're going to have to get you back for some more at some point. Oh, yeah. There's Maybe. a lot I could say, you know. <laughs> but I appreciate yeah. you all the way, all the same. I appreciate you, Dr. Ezema. Thank you, Dr. Brown. <laughs> Bye. All right. All right, y'all. Thank <laughs> you.